Chapter Two of Flower of the Dusk by Myrtle Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Maddie. Miss Maddie was getting supper, sustained by the comforting thought that her task was utterly beneath her and had been forced upon her by the mysterious workings of an untoward fate. She was not really Miss, since she had been married and widowed and a grown son was waiting impatiently in the sitting-room for his evening meal but her neighbors nearly all of whom had known her before her marriage still called her miss matty the arbitrary social distinctions made regardless of personality are often cruelly ironical many a man incapable of nature by lifelong devotion to one woman becomes a husband in half an hour duly sanctioned by church and state a woman who remains unmarried because, with fine courage, she will have her true mate or none, is called an old maid. She may have the heart of a wife and the soul of a mother, but she cannot escape her sinister label. The real old maids are of both sexes, and many are married, but alas, seldom to each other. In his introspective moments, Roger Austin sometimes wondered why marriage, maternity, and bereavement should have left no trace upon his mother, the uttermost depths of life had been hers for the sounding but miss matty had refused to drop her plummet overboard and had spent the years in prolonged study of her own particular boat she came in with the irritating air of a martyr and clucked sharply with her false teeth when she saw that her son was reading i don't know what i've done she remarked that i should have to live all the time with people who keep their noses in books your pa was forever readin and you're marked with it i could set here and set here and set here and he took no more notice of me than if i was a piece of furniture when he died the brethren and cistern used to come to condole me and say how i must miss him there wasn't nothin to miss cause the books and his chair was left i've a good mind to burn em all up i won't read if you don't want me to mother answered roger laying his book aside regretfully i don't know but what i'd rather you would than to want to and not she retorted somewhat obscurely what i'm a-sayin is that it's in the blood and you can't help it if i'd known it was your pa's intention to give himself up so exclusive to readin i'd never have married him that's all i've got to say there's no sense in it let me see what you're at now she took the open book that lay face downward upon the table and read aloud awkwardly leave to the diamond its ages to grow nor expect to accelerate the births of the eternal friendship demands a religious treatment we talk of choosing our friends but friends are self-elected now she demanded in a shrill voice what does that mean i don't think i could explain it to you mother that's just the point your pa couldn't ever explain nothing neither you're readin and readin and readin and you never know what you're readin about diamonds growin and births bein hurried up and friends bein religious and voted for at township elections who's runnin for friend this year on the republican ticket she inquired caustically roger managed to force a laugh <laughs> you have your own peculiar way of putting things mother is supper ready i'm as hungry as a bear i suppose you are when it ain't readin it's eatin work all day to get a meal that don't last more than fifteen minutes and then see readin goin on till long past bedtime and oil goin up every six months which'll you have fresh apple sauce or canned raspberries it doesn't matter 
Then I'll get the applesauce, because the canned raspberries can lay over as long as they're kept cool. Miss Mattie shuffled back into the kitchen. During the winter she wore black knitted slippers, attached to woolen inner soles, which had no heels. She was well past the half-century mark, but her face had few lines in it, and her gray eyes were sharp and penetrating. Her smooth, pale brown hair, which did not show the gray in it, was parted precisely in the middle. Every morning she brushed it violently with a stiff brush dipped into cold water and twisted the ends into a tight knot at the back of her head. In militant moments this knot seemed to rise, and the protruding ends of the wire hairpins to bristle into formidable weapons of offense. She habitually wore her steel-bowed spectacles halfway down her nose. They might have fallen off had not a kindly providence placed a large wart where it would do the most good. On Sundays, when she put on shoes, corsets, her best black silk, and her gold-bowed spectacles, she took great pains to wear them properly. When she reached home, however, she always took off her fine raiment and laid her spectacles aside with a great sigh of relief. Miss Mattie's disposition improved rapidly as soon as the old steel-bowed pair were in their rightful place, resting safely upon the wart. When they sat down to supper, she reverted to the original topic. "'As I was saying,' she began, "'there ain't no sense in the books you and your pa has always set such store by. Where he ever got em, I don't know, but they was always coming. Lots of em was well-nigh wore out when he got em, and he wouldn't let me buy nothing that had been used before, even if I knew the folks. I got a silver coffin-plate once at an auction over to the ridge for almost nothing.' and your pa was as mad as a wet hen. There was a name on it, but it could have been scraped off, and the rest of it was perfectly good. When you need a coffin plate, you need it awful bad. While your pa was ramping around, he said he wouldn't have been surprised to see me coming home with a second-hand coffin in the back of the buggy. Whoever heard of a second-hand coffin? I've always thought his mind was unsettled by so much reading. I ain't a sayin', but what some readin' is all right. Some folks has just moved over to the ridge, and the postmaster's wife was a-showin' me some papers they get every week. One is the Metropolitan Weekly, and the other the housewife's companion. I must say the stories in those papers is certainly beautiful. Once when they come after their mail, they was as mad as anything, because the papers hadn't come. But the postmaster's wife was readin' one of the stories and settin' up nights to do it, so she weren't to blame for not lettin' em go until she got through with em. They slip out of the covers just as easy, and nobody ever knows the difference. She was telling me about one of the stories. It's named Lovely Lulu, or The Doctor's Darling. Lovely Lulu is a little orphan who has to do most of the housework for a family of eight, and the way they abuse that child is something awful. The young ladies are forever putting ruffled white skirts into her wash and making her darn the lace on their blue silk morning dresses. There's a rich doctor that they're all after and one day little Lulu happens to open the front door for him, and he gets a good look at her for the first time. As she goes upstairs, Arthur Montmorency, that's his name, holds both hands to his heart and says, She and she only shall be my bride. The conclusion of this highly fascinating and absorbing romance will be found in the next number of The Housewife's Companion. Mother, suggested Roger, why don't you subscribe for the papers yourself? Miss Mattie dropped her knife and fork and gazed at him in open-mouthed astonishment. "'Roger,' she said kindly, "'I declare if sometimes you don't remind me of my people more in your paws. I never thought of that myself, and I don't know how you come to. 
I'll do it the very first time I go down to the store. The postmaster's wife can get the addresses without tearing off the covers, and after I get em read, she can borrow mine, and not be always making the people at the ridge so mad that she's running the risk of losing her job. If you ain't the beatenest, basking in the unaccustomed warmth of his mother's approval, Roger finished his supper in peace. Afterward, while she was clearing up, he even dared to take up the much-criticized book and lose himself once more in his father's beloved Emerson. All his childish memories of his father had been blurred into one by the mists of the intervening years. As though it were yesterday, he could see the library upstairs, which was still the same, and the grave, silent, kindly man who sat dreaming over his books. When the child entered, half afraid because the room was so quiet, the man had risen and caught him in his arms with such hungry passion that he had almost cried out. "'Oh, my son!' came in the deep, rich voice, vibrant with tenderness. "'My dear little son!' That was all, save a few old photographs and the priceless legacy of the books. The library was not a large one, but it had been chosen by a man of discriminating, yet Catholic, taste. The books had been used and were not, as so often happens, merely ornaments— page after page had been interlined and there was scarcely a volume which was not rich in marginal notes sometimes questioning in character but indicating always understanding and appreciation as soon as he learned to read roger began to spend his leisure hours in the library when he could not understand a book he put it aside and took up another always there were pictures and sometimes many of them for in his later years lawrence austin had contracted the baneful habit of extra illustration never maternal save in the limited physical sense miss mattie had been glad to have the child out of her way day by day the young mind grew and expanded in its own way year by year roger came to an affectionate knowledge of his father through the medium of the marginal notes he wondered sometimes that a pencil mark should so long outlive the fine strong body of the man who made it it seemed pitiful in a way and yet he knew that books and letters are the things that endure in a world of transition and decay the underlined passages and the marginal comments gave evidence of an extraordinary love of beauty in whatever shape or form and yet the parlor which was opened only on sunday was hideous with a gaudy carpet stuffed chairs family portraits done in crayon and inflicted upon the house by itinerant vendors of tea and coffee and there was a basket of wax flowers protected by glass on the marble-topped centre table the pride of miss mattie's heart was a chair which with incredible industry she had made from an empty flour barrel she had spoiled a good barrel to make a bad chair but her thrifty soul rejoiced in her achievement roger never went near it so miss mattie herself sat in it on sunday afternoons nodding and crooning hymns to herself how did father stand it thought roger intending no disrespect he loved his mother and appreciated her good qualities but he saw the awful chasm between those two souls which no ceremony of marriage could ever span in appearance roger was like his father he had the same clear dark skin with regular features and kind dark eyes the same abundant wavy hair strong square chin and incongruous beauty-loving mouth he had too the lovable boyishness which never quite leaves some fortunate men he was studying law in the judge's office and hoped by another year to be ready to take his examinations after working hard all day he found refreshment for mind and body in an hour or so at night spent with the treasures of his father's library let us buy our entrance to this guild with a long probation 
read Roger. Why should we desecrate noble and beautiful souls by intruding upon them? Why insist upon rash personal relations with your friend? Why go to his house and know his mother and brother and sisters? Why be visited by him at your own? Are these things material to our covenant? Leave this touching and clawing. Let him be to me. I've spoke twice, complained Miss Maddy, and you don't hear me no more'n your pa did. I beg your pardon, mother. I did not hear you come in. What is it? I was just a saying that maybe those papers would be too expensive. Maybe I ought not to have em. I'm sure they're not, mother. Anyhow, you get them, and we'll make it up in some other way, if we have to. Dimly in the future, Roger saw long, quiet evenings in which his disturbing influence should be rendered null and void by the charms of lovely Lulu, or the doctor's darling. Barbara North sent her pa over here this morning to ask for some book. I disremember now what it was, but it was after you was gone. Roger's expressive face changed instantly. Why didn't you tell me sooner, mother? He spoke with evident effort. It's too late now for me to go over there. There's no call for you to go over. They can send again. Miss Merriam can come after it any time. They ain't got no business to let a blind old man like Ambrose North run around by himself the way they do. He takes very good care of himself. He knew this place before he was blind, and I don't think there is any danger. Just the same, he ought not to go around alone, and that's what I told him this morning. A blind old man like you, says I, ain't got no business chasing around alone. First thing you know, you'll fall down and break a leg or arm or something. Roger shrank as if from a physical hurt. Mother, he cried, how can you say such things? Why not, she queried, imperturbably. He knows he's blind, I guess, and he certainly can't think he's young, so what harm does it do to speak of it? Anyway, she added piously, I always say just what I think. Roger got up, put his hands in his pockets, and paced back and forth restlessly. People who always say what they think, mother, he answered not unkindly, assume that their opinions are of great importance to people who probably do not care for them at all. Unless directly asked, it is better to say only the kind things and keep the rest to ourselves. I was kind, objected Miss Matty. I was telling him he ought not to take the risk of hurting himself by running around alone. I don't know what ails you, Roger. Every day you get more and more like your pa. How long had you and father known each other before you were married? asked Roger, steering quickly away from the dangerous rocks that will loom up in the best regulated of conversations. About three months. Why? Oh, I just wanted to know. I used to be a pretty girl, Roger, though you mightn't think it now. Her voice softened, and taking off her spectacles, she gazed far into space, seemingly, to that distant girlhood when radiant youth lent to the gray old world some of its own immortal joy. I don't doubt it, said Roger politely. Your pa and me used to go to church together. He sang in the choir, and I had a white dress and a bonnet trimmed with lustring ribbon. I can smell the clover now and hear the bees hummin' when the windows was open in summer. A bee come in once while the minister was prayin' and lighted on Deacon Emery's bald head. Seems a-most as if twas yesterday. Your pa had great notions, she went on after a pause, just before we was married. He said he was going to educate me, but he never did. End of chapter 2